All right, well, we're there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 19. And uh, if you remember last week, we were in 2 Samuel 19. We're working through the working our way through the book of 2 Samuel on Wednesday nights. And last week, we did something a little different, and we skipped the first eight verses of the chapter, and we dealt with uh, most of the rest of the chapter. And I wanted to do that because the first eight verses of the chapter kind of have a Thanksgiving theme, and I knew that tonight we would be, obviously, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and our pie social. I wanted to be able to give you a challenge from the Word of God, a sermon from the Word of God in regards to gratitude or really ingratitude. What we see here in this chapter is David basically acting like an ungrateful uh, punk. You know, he's, he's just kind of throwing a fit. And uh, keep in mind, he just lost his son, you know, so I don't want to come down too hard on him. But he's, he's being very ungrateful and, and he's showing characteristics of ingratitude and I want to just we're, we're just going to look at eight verses tonight the first eight verses I want to as quickly as I can give you three uh, characteristics that we see uh, in this passage three lessons of what ingratitude does in our lives and in the lives of, of others my goal is to preach a short a short sermon I, I want to try to preach 20 25 minutes maybe 30 minutes uh, but I, not not much longer than that so we can get to the fellowship and all of that, so we'll see how that goes. I don't know why you're laughing, but we'll see how that goes. All right, Second Samuel 19, look down at verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom, and the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people, for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. So if you remember, they just had the battle between the children of Israel and those, uh, those that are following Absalom and those that are following uh, David. Absalom tried to take the kingdom. And uh, God allowed David to win. And with that, Absalom died. And like I said, there's characteristics here. And if you're taking notes, and I'd like to write these statements down. And uh, if, if you don't have a child on your lap or something like that, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for sermon notes there. The, the first thing I'd like you to notice tonight is this. Ingratitude, because we're, we're, we're going to look at what ingratitude does, how ingratitude acts, how it takes hold of our lives and how we show it. Because tomorrow we're supposed to be celebrating Thanksgiving. We're supposed to be thankful and have gratitude for the things that God has done for us. But often what I've noticed is that most people and many people will develop an attitude of ingratitude and they'll have these characteristics, and I want you to notice what they are so that you can identify them in your own life and correct them, or maybe identify them in your children's life and do your best to correct them. Number one tonight is this. Ingratitude considers only what you don't have, not what you do have. Someone who is ungrateful, someone who has characteristics of ingratitude, someone who is not thankful, no matter how much pie you eat or how, many, how much turkey you eat tomorrow, it, 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 someone will be ungrateful or unthankful when they consider or when they focus or when they fixate on that which they don't have as opposed to that which they do have. No, notice there, again, Second Samuel 19. And it was told Joab, Behold, the king weepeth and mourneth, notice, for Absalom. David did not have Absalom anymore. And if you remember when the battle started, David had told the generals, he said, if we can win this battle and not harm Absalom, that would be great. If we could win this battle and not harm Absalom, that would be a good thing. And it didn't work out that way. Absalom ended up dying, and uh, David ended up losing Absalom. But here we see him weeping and mourning for Absalom. 
What, what was he mourning for? The one thing or the one person he lacked. Notice verse 2. And the victory. That's what he had. He had had the victory. He had had the kingdom. He could keep his job. He was still the king. He could do what God had called him to do. He had a victory. There was something he had that he could be happy about, that he could be content about. And the victory that day was turned into mourning. Why? Because his focus was on that which he did not have instead of having his focus on that which he did have. He was uh, focused on the loss of Absalom and basically acted like the victory was no big deal to the point where the people had to act that day. As if they were mourning. Notice what it says there in verse 2. Unto all the people, for the people heard say that day how the king was grieved, notice, for his son. They did not hear the king was rejoicing for the victory. They did not hear the king was glad for the sacrifice. They heard the king was grieved. Why? Because his focus was on that which he did not have as opposed to having it on that which he had. Notice verse 3. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city. These people just won a great battle, but they have to go in quietly. They can't rejoice. They can't high five. They can't praise the Lord. They can't have a... uh, There's no parade for this battle. There's no victory here. They got them by stealth that day into the city as people being ashamed still away when they flee into battle. They ended up acting as... they were acting like they'd lost the battle, not like they won. You know, they were coming back quietly and mourning and sorrowful as if they'd lost, not won. Notice verse 4. And the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice. Notice where his focus is. Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. He's focused, he's fixated on that which he does not have as opposed to being focused on that which he has. Now keep your place there in 2 Samuel 19. That's our text for tonight. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 13. If you start at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation and move backwards, you're going to go past Revelation, past Jude, past 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, past 2nd and 1st Peter, past James into the book of Hebrews. Towards the end of the New Testament, Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews, if you're going backwards, Hebrews chapter number 13. Now, do me a favor. When you get to Hebrews, put a bulletin or a ribbon or a bookmark or something there. We're going to leave Hebrews and we're going to come back to it. So I want you to be able to move quickly. Hebrews chapter number 13, look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. See, here's what you need to understand. The battle is always, uh, uh, when it comes to gratitude and being thankful, it's always a battle between focusing on what you don't have And as opposed to focusing on what you do have. Hebrews 13, look at verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. What's covetousness? Lusting or desiring or wanting something that you do not have. Notice, Notice it's what you don't have versus what you do have. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Notice, and be content. What's it mean to be content? It means to be satisfied. It means to be, uh, to, to, to be happy with what you have. He says, and be content with such things as you have. See, that's the battle. Covetousness versus contentment. Will I focus, will I fixate on that which I lack, or will I focus and fixate on that which I have? See, your gratitude, and you may be going into Thanksgiving this week and, and be going in with a real bad attitude. And be going in with a very ungrateful attitude. 
And in gratitude, maybe, uh, a, you know, we, we may see the characteristics in your life. And I will tell you this, it is there because people that are ungrateful, people that are not thankful, people that are not, you know, satisfied and content are people that have their focus on that which they lack, not on that which God has allowed them to have. Go to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number 4. There in the New Testament, if you can find First uh, and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. These are very well-known passages. You've read them before, but let's look at them together. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse number 10. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Notice verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. He, he's talking about the fact, he said, I, I'm happy. He's a missionary here. They're supposed to be supporting him, and they basically quit supporting him. You know, they said, yeah, we'll support you out on the mission field, and, and the money kept, you know, quit coming. And then they decided, hey, we better, you know, stick to what we said, and let's uh, send uh, uh, Paul the money that we said we we're going to. And he says, hey, I'm glad. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that, that, you're, that you're doing this. But he says in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want. He says, not that I'm speaking in respect of desire. It's not that I desire or want anything. He says, here's why. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He says, you know, whatever, you know, if the money's coming in, I'm content. And if it's not coming in, I'm content. He says, if the money's coming in and I can do full-time ministry, that's fine. And if the money's not coming in and I have to make tents, he said, that's fine with me too. He says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Notice verse 12. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. See, the problem with ungrateful people is they only know how to abound. You know, when the finances are good, when the raises are good, when the job's good, when the health's good, when everything's fine, when we're winning victories, when we have our cake and, and eat it too, or our pie and eat it too, when everything's fine, it's like, praise the Lord, it's hallelujah, it's God is good, it's God is great, it's I'm excited about church, I'm excited about soul winning, but take that same person and give them a job they don't like or a house they're not happy with or they have to drive a vehicle that... You know, it's more than 10 years old. And then it's like, how you doing, brother? Continue. You know, people like that have not learned in whatsoever state there are to be content. Because their happiness, their happiness, their joy is based on outside things. As long as God gives me the house I want in the neighborhood I want, as long as God gives me the job I want with the position, with the raise, as long as I drive the car, then me and God are good. But if, if it's not that, but listen to me, you don't have to live that way. And, and, and just let me, let me make this real clear. When your happiness is connected to a person, a place, or a thing, then your happiness can disappear at any moment that person, place, or thing disappears. You understand that? And today people get all fixed. And what was the problem with David? He was happy as long as Absalom was there. But then he lost Absalom. And listen to me. Listen to me. And I don't, people don't like to hear this. But we fixate too much on people. We fixate too much on people. 
Listen to me. I love my children. I love my children with all my heart. I, 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 I hope, I hope that the Lord, that I never have to go through a time in my life where, where my children will be sick or where my children, you know, Lord forbid, would, would pass away or something like that. But listen to me. I know that there are some people that if their child died before them, they'd quit on God. And I'm not saying that that's not easy. I'm not saying that that would be difficult. I, I'm not people that have had to bury their children. I think that's probably the hardest thing that any individual ever had to do. But I have great admiration for those that bury children and just continue on serving God. And never lose their joy, never lose their happiness. Why? Because their contentment is found in something bigger than who they are. Something bigger than who their children are or who their wife is or what their job is. I'm just here to tell you, in America, we make a big deal. We, we are covetous people in the United States of America. We just make too much of people, places, and things. I mean, today, we, we, you know, we, we make a big deal about places. I, I admire, we have several, several families in our church that have had the faith and the courage to pick up and move their families. You know, some, some across the state and some across the country. And, you know, I admire that. I think that's amazing. I think that's great. I think there are so many rewards in heaven for people like that who have that faith and that courage. But you know what? I talk to people all the time who say, that's crazy. I would never, I mean, I would never move to go to church anywhere. And you know what's funny to me is like the world, you know, they'll move for a job, no problem. They'll move to go to school, no problem. I mean, I was in the military and you moved every two years. And it's like, is that hard on your family? Well, you know, we're in the military. But then when it comes to Christianity, why don't people say, hey, I'm going to move for God. And if somebody says, well, is that hard on your family? Well, you know, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm just, I'm just, we make a big deal about places. Like, I've got to live in this area, in this region. Well, you better hope that that area never gets a nuclear bomb or else you're going to be very unhappy. I mean, I, 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 I'm only happy if I can live in this one area of the country. It's ridiculous. I'm only happy if I can be with this one person. Well, then make sure that person never leaves you, betrays you, walks out on you. I can only be happy if I got this job. Then you better hope Donald Trump does a good job with that economy. <laughs> I can only be happy if I can live in this neighborhood, in this place. And it's this ridiculous attitude where we fixate on what we don't have. And you sit there and listen to people complain about the silliest things. And it's like, look, you can sit there and, and, and you have like 20 things you can be thankful for. You have your health. You have your family. You have, you know, whatever. You have a great church. So I don't have any of those. You, you, you got salvation. You got Jesus. You got the word of God. I mean, we could focus our attention. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Even California. <laughs> he said, I have learned. He said, he said I, I, I've learned how to be a base and how to abound. Notice what he says. Look at verse 12. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He said, how do you do that? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. See, ingratitude considers only what you don't have at the extent uh, uh, and, and does not consider what you do have. We could all sit down. We could all sit down and for hours write a list of things that we're thankful for that God has done for us. No matter how bad your life is, you've got something to be grateful for this Thanksgiving. But you know what ungrateful people do? You know what ingratitude does? It considers only what you don't have. 
It fixates on that which you think belongs to you. Well, God needs to give me fill in the blank. Hey, you know what? You need to let that go. And you need to just decide whatever state I am, however I find myself. This Thanksgiving, I will learn to be content. Because grateful people learn to be thankful for what they have. And you know what? They don't worry about what they don't have. It's covetousness versus contentment. Keep your place there in Hebrews 13. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. You know, when I was in the Air Force, we moved everywhere. We're in Texas. We're, I'm in Qatar. I'm here and there. You know, nobody complained about it. It's like, it's just what you do. And if you got up, and even independent from Baptist, they, they move across the country to go to Bible college. People move for jobs. People commute. They act, I, can't, I could never commute to church. People commute for work all the time. You know, to serve all, almighty dollar all the time. But yet we act like, well, you know, everything's got to, all the ducks got to line up. Or I will not be happy. Ingratitude considers only what you don't have, not what you do. Number two, ingratitude concentrates only on the failures and not the successes of others. Ingratitude concentrates only on the failures and not the successes of others. Second Samuel 19, look at verse 5. You notice what the Bible says, 2 Samuel 19 and verse 5. And Joab came into the house of the king and said, notice what Joab says to him. Joab's a bad guy, but sometimes he's got the right point. And right here, Joab is right. He said, thou hast, notice this word, shamed. Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the lives of thy sons, and of thy daughters, and the lives of thy wives, and the lives of thy concubines, and in that, that love is thine enemies. Nothing wrong with loving your enemies, but he says, and, has, and hatest thy friends, for thou hast declared this day that thou regardest. You have to see that word regard there? Regardest, it means to think of, that you think this way, that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived which is what the people failed to do. Because remember, David said, when you go into battle, I want you to do two things. I want you to win the battle, and I want you to say, keep Absalom alive. And they weren't able to do it. And because of Joab's insubordination, they weren't able to accomplish that. And they accomplished one of the tasks, but not the other. They won the battle, but they weren't able to keep Absalom alive. And, and Joab says, and that he, said, he said, if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. What, what's he doing? He's quick to forget. He's quick to forget that these men have sacrificed, that these men have worked, that these men have been loyal. He's quick to forget all the things they've done for him, and he just focuses on, you guys failed because Absalom is dead. You know what ungrateful people do? They fixate on the failures and not the successes of others. Say, what do you mean? Ungrateful children. They'll sit there and complain. Well, my mom was not able to afford this for me, and my dad was not able to afford this for me, and they never took me to Disneyland, and they never did this. And, they, and they'll fixate on all the things that their parents weren't able to do, and they, and, but they forget, you know, everything their parents did do for them. 
No, they forget all the, all the, the fact that they fed them and clothed them and loved them. They forget that they stayed up with them all night when they were sick. They forget that they, you know, they worked two jobs and they saved and they ate, uh, you know, beans and rice and they did whatever they needed to do to try to make sure they were educated and they were cared for. They did everything they needed to do to get them in a good church. They, you know, ungrateful children just forget all that. And, and mom messes up and dad messes up and they make a mistake. And maybe, maybe they did do something wrong. Maybe it wasn't right. Maybe it wasn't, you know, and they'll fixate on, well, you failed. You did not keep Absalom alive. And it's like, well, what about all the great things they did for you? What about the sacrifices? Often marriages, when they're heading for a divorce, you'll find a spouse who fixates on all the failures and just doesn't remember. You know, it's funny. You, look, you talk to people, and I talk to them all the time in my office, people that are just getting ready to get divorced. And you talk to them, and it's like, we were never happy. It was always bad. And I'm like, man, that must have been a really depressing wedding. I mean, you guys were on that, you know. I mean, there has to have been at least one good day, right? I mean, there was one day where you both, you know, vowed before God and man that you'd g- give your lives to each. I mean, at least that day had to have been happy. But you talk to people and it's like, no, they're all bad. She was always bad. He was always, well, you know, maybe you're just fixating on the failures and forgetting the successes. I always think it's funny as a pastor. You know, from time to time as a pastor, I, you know, just to let you know, I may not return your phone call. Or I may forget to visit you at the hospital. Or I may forget your birthday. And it's funny to me because I, I'll have people, they're like, you know, they're so mad, you know, that that pastor did not come and visit me at the hospital. And they got to get on the phone and tell every church member, pastor did not, you know. And here's the question I always want to ask them. Did you tell them that I was there like the five other times you are in the hospital? Well, no, no, they didn't, you know, because people come to me, they're like, you know, so-and-so's upset that you didn't go to the hospital. Did they tell you that my wife brought them dinner? Did they tell you that we brought them flowers? Did they tell you that the last six times, you know, they were in the hospital with? No, they didn't mention that. Well, they're quick to forget all the good stuff and just the one time you mess up, the one time you don't get it right, the one time, you know, they just focus on the failures. Don't be that person. Don't be that person who's just, well, every time they mess up, you know, your your, your boss does all these great things for you one time. He doesn't give you credit. One time, he doesn't acknowledge you. One time. You know, listen to me. Ungrateful people get fixated. They concentrate only on the failures and not the successes of others. David should have said, I am so thankful that these men sacrificed their lives. Many of them died. Many of them put their lives in jeopardy. They were loyal. They were right. But no, he doesn't acknowledge any of that. It's just all about Absalom. You failed to keep Absalom alive. You know what, David? Maybe you're just being ungrateful, and maybe you should start concentrating on the successes and on the sacrifices of these men. And you may find yourself, you know, you really need to go back and check your own heart, whether it's with your spouse or with your parents or with your children or with your pastor or with your, you know, the boss at your job or whatever. Hey, maybe you ought to consider, if you're so mad and angry, I just can't. Maybe you ought to consider that people have not failed you at every moment. And sometimes things don't work out the way, the best way. And sometimes Absaloms, due to their own sin, die. And most of the people, it wasn't their fault. And they were there, and they were careful, and they were loving, and they did all that they could. But here you have David being ungrateful, concentrated only on the failures, not the success of others. Second Samuel 19, let me give you point number three. I said number one, ingratitude considers only what you don't have and not what you do have. 
Number two, ingratitude concentrates only on the failures, not the successes of others. Number three, ingratitude communicates only dissatisfaction, not appreciation. Ingratitude communicates only dissatisfaction, not appreciation. Second Samuel 19, look at verse 1. And it was told Joab, behold, the king weepeth and mourneth for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning into all the people. For the people, notice, notice, the people heard say, the communication was there. The people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. Notice verse 4. But the king covered his face, and the king, notice the wording, wording, cried with a loud voice. He wanted to make sure everybody knew. He wanted to make sure everybody got it. He wanted to make sure everybody understood. Cried with a loud voice, oh, my son Absalom, my son Absalom. Notice verse 6, in that thou, this was Joab talking to David, in that thou lovest thine enemies and hatest thy friends, for thou, notice, notice the wording, for thou hast declared this day. Joab says to David, your communication was very clear today. You were very clear today in communicating your dissatisfaction and not your appreciation. Notice what Joab says. Look at verse 7. Now therefore arise, go forth. Notice what he says. And think comfortably unto thy service. Is that what he says? He doesn't say think. He says speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. Here's what he's telling him. You better start communicating gratitude because what you've been communicating because you've been ungrateful is dissatisfaction. You're crying and you're weeping. You're making sure, you're making a scene. You're making sure everybody knows. And again, I, you know, I think it's funny. I mean, here at Brady Baptist Church, we, we, I mean, we do so much to help people. We buy people groceries. We pay people's rent. We, I mean, we try, and we try, I think that's a part of being a church family. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look out for each other and love each other. But you know what I've noticed? Whenever I pay somebody's rent, whenever I pay somebody's bill, whenever, it, I've, ne I've never had this happen where somebody just makes a big scene about it, you know, on Sunday morning, like, oh, everybody, I want you to know what pastor did. Look, he just paid my rent. But when they're upset about something, I sure want everybody to know that I'm not happy. See, you know what ingratitude does? It communicates dissatisfaction. It communicates dissatisfaction, but not appreciation. See, thanksgiving doesn't work unless you actually give it. You say, well, I'm grateful for my wife. Do you ever tell her that? Well, I'm grateful for my husband. Do you ever tell them that? I'm grateful for my children. Do you ever communicate that to them, or do you only communicate dissatisfaction? Only when they mess up. Only when they make a mistake. Only when they do something wrong. You're sure to come down hard on them. Do you ever communicate gratitude? I'm thankful for my boss. Do you ever communicate that? I'm thankful for my employees. Do you ever communicate that? I I'm thankful. You ever I'm asking you, because here's what ungrateful people do. They communicate only dissatisfaction, but never appreciation. Say, well, where, how do I do it? Well, you know, I don't know, but there's a great day tomorrow called Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's a great opportunity for you to go to your wife or you to go to your husband or you to go to your child or you to go to whoever you need to go to and say, you know, or you to go to your mom and dad and say, you know, I, I just, I just want to communicate that I'm thankful for you, mom, dad, honey. Because 
Ingratitude, ingratitude is sure to communicate dissatisfaction. I mean, King David is weeping and mourning. He's, the people heard him say that the king was grieved. He cried with a loud voice. He made sure that the message got out. I'm not happy. But the gratitude, Joab has to come and say, hey, you better go and speak comfortably. You better go and tell these people that you're thankful for them. See, what does ingratitude do? Go, go, to, go to Psalm 23 in your Bible. Psalm 23. If you open up your Bible, write in the book of Psalms. And, and you know what I've noticed with people? I'm not trying to offend you, although that's what I do. I mean, I, I feel like it's my job to, like, teach people these basic skills of life. You know? Be polite. Say please. Say thank you. I don't know where half the, half the people grew up. I mean, you know, you always hear that. Did you grow up in a barn? I think some people literally grew up in a barn somewhere. You know, be kind. Smile. Be polite. Not, the whole world doesn't have to know that you're fighting with your wife. The whole world doesn't have to know that you're fighting with your husband. It's called discretion. It's called discernment. Psalm 23, as I was studying for this sermon, I'm not, you, you guys were laughing because um, I'm not going to meet that 30-minute mark. But that, that was rude. The raise in a barn. Psalm 23. Let me, let me finish this quickly. Psalm 23, as I was studying for this sermon, I, I, I've never seen this theme before, but Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms in the Bible, has, Psalm 23 has a contentment theme to it. Let me just show it to you real quickly, and, 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 and then I'll show you one more verse, and we'll be done. Psalm 23, look at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, what? I shall not want. Remember, remember uh, Philippians 4.11? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Remember, uh, remember Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a reason to be thankful right there is that God's always with you. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. Notice this phrase, my cup runneth over. In our society, we have this terminology. We say, like, are you, are, you, uh, are you one of those people that sees your cup half full? Are you one of those people that sees the cup half empty? You know, like, if you're a pessimist, cup half empty. You're an optimist, half cap, you know, cup half full. You say, what, what should a Christian be? N neither. You know what Christians should be? They should be, my cup runneth over. It's not, it's not that, oh, I look at a bad situation and I see it in a good way. No, I look at every situation under the guise of, if nothing good ever happens to me again, I've had more blessings, I've had more grace, I've had more love, I've had more done for me. If God does nothing good for me for the rest of my life, he's done enough. Is your cup ever half empty? It's, it's a running over all the time. Even when, even when things are going well, it's running over. The Holy Spirit of God has been good to me. God has saved me. God has delivered me. God has forgiven me. And if God gave you health, if God gave you a wife, if God gave you children, hey, you say, well, I've got a bad job. Just thank God you have a job. I, I've got a bad, I, I, I don't like my house. Hey, some people, some people are living on the streets. Your cup's always running over. 
I don't ever have a reason to look at, well, how am I going to look at this situation? Always look at your situation with an attitude of thanksgiving. Because I've always gotten more. God's always, I used to have a pastor, you'd ask him, how are you doing? He'd always say, no matter what was going on, he'd say, better than I deserve. And you know what? We are all doing better than we deserve. Because what we deserve is to die and go to hell. I don't know about you. I know that's what I deserve. And if I don't die and go to hell, my cup is running over. And every blessing has been good. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The Bible says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. It's in your bulletin if you want to look at it. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, give thanks. It's not enough to be thankful in your mind. You have to be thankful out loud. You've got to give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, ingratitude considers only what you don't have. Focuses only what you don't have. And does not focus on that which you do have. Ingratitude concentrates only on the failures and not the successes of others. And ingratitude communicates only dissatisfaction and never appreciation. Here's a question I have for you. Thanksgiving 2016. Is ingratitude a characteristic in your life? I'd encourage you to fix it. I'd encourage you to go into this Thanksgiving with a grateful attitude towards God and others. Because if I don't die and go to hell, I'm doing better than I deserve. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father.